episode 118 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed and marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And hey, I love the feedback, the suggestions for podcasts, all of it, every bit of it. I really do. And I'm trying harder and harder to be able to get back to people that send me emails. And uh, so thank you so much. And if you have, uh, uh, if you want to help me even more, please take a moment to subscribe to the Virtual Couch Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, whatever the podcast app is. And uh, please take a moment and think of anybody or somebody that you can share an episode with that you may have enjoyed or you feel might be helpful for them. And lastly, if you have a moment, Please write a quick review, again, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, The podcast landscape is changing almost daily. It's kind of exciting. I feel like uh, even though it's been around for 10 years, um, a decade or more, actually, it's almost as if everybody is just now finding out about podcasts. So there is a lot going on behind the scenes of the larger players in podcasting trying to position themselves for the future of podcasting. And uh, the currency of the non-celebrity podcaster, that would be me, is ratings and reviews and subscriptions. So again, thank you in advance. If you're up for subscribing or rating or reviewing, uh, that would be, I would be so grateful. So I appreciate that. And on that note, you can find me at tonyoverbay.com on Instagram at virtual couch and uh, YouTube. uh, You can find a virtual couch uh, YouTube channel. And that is uh, prevalent today because the interview that I do with Christine Hammond is up on the virtual couch YouTube channel as well. And uh, we probably already read it in the subject, and I just said it right there. My guest today is Christine Hammond. You may have remembered her from episode 86, where we talked about narcissism. And again, if you're interested in hearing more or learning more about narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder, because I know that that word is being thrown out so much, and you haven't heard that episode, episode 86, I would highly recommend that you go back and give that one a listen. Christine is considered an expert in the field of personality disorders, such as narcissism, and the subject of today's podcast, which is one that we had made we had alluded to at the end of the um, podcast on narcissism back at 86, and I can 100% honestly say that I have received dozens of emails of people saying, when are you going to do the podcast about borderline personality disorder? So I had reached out to Christine, and she was incredibly gracious and said, whenever you want. And so uh, we recorded this late last week, and I just wanted to get it out there as quickly as I could. So um, I would definitely recommend that, again, if you want to go back and hear anything about narcissism, from a expert in the field, then go back and listen to that episode 86. And even if you've never heard of borderline personality disorder or BPD as it's often called, I would definitely recommend that you give this episode a listen. Just as I found with episodes on topics like gaslighting or attachment patterns or repetition compulsion, all of those things that I've been putting out lately, I do get emails after the fact where someone didn't even know that one of these things covered on one of the podcasts were were a thing or were a part of what were affecting their lives. So this one's definitely worth a listen. So I will leave it right there and let's get to my guest, Christine Hammond. You can find her at growwithchristine.com and I highly recommend subscribing to her podcast, Understanding Today's Narcissist. All right, let's get to the interview with Christine Hammond. And action. Okay, Uh, Christine Hammond, welcome back to the virtual couch. Thank you. Um, I, I, I honestly have gotten many, many emails that have said, when are you going to follow up on your borderline people with b- borderline personality disorder podcast? With yeah. Did I do yeah. that? Well? Did I do that? Well, yes, you did that. Well, yes. <laughs> we don't call him. We don't call a person who has borderline personality disorder 
um, a borderline because that's offensive to them. And the reason that's the case is because it is just a facet of their personality and not all of what encompasses them. And so we call them a person who has borderline personality disorder. Okay. And, and I guess let's just jump right in, right? Uh, I, I told you right record, this is one of those things where I don't deal a lot with people who have borderline personality disorder. I'll yeah. deal, I'll, I'll work with couples where yeah. then we see um, someone who may have borderline personality disorder and that can interfere in the couple's work. So a lot right. of times we'll say, hey, why don't we uh, do our own individual work for a little while, right? Um, right. So I, I, was, I just want to do the thing where I put my, my head in my hands. It's like, tell me more, Christine. I want to know everything about people with borderline personality disorder. And before I get there really quick, though, um, the, does it get lumped in? Or, or do you feel like, so I get people tell me all the time that all they hear about is narcissism. Everybody is a narcissist. Right. And uh, do you feel there's a similar feel with people with borderline or is it? A I do. Um, in the in the sense that a lot of narcissistic females get labeled as having border, um, okay. borderline personality disorder. And, and it's not the same. Like there's a big difference between a narcissistic female and a person who has borderline personality disorder. And the other thing I feel like is um, there's a lot of misjudgment about it or mischaracterization. In other words, Somebody might say that person is so bipolar. Well, and they're not really bipolar. They actually have borderline personality disorder. And that's a very different thing because um, somebody who is bipolar is it's a chemical issue um, that can be treated chemically actually quite effectively. Whereas a person with borderline personality disorder, that is something that is ingrained and it's like part of who they are. And it is a personality disorder. It is not a chemical thing. We cannot treat it with medicine. Although, although medicine can help because it yeah. can tone down some of the anxiety or depression that can sometimes be associated with it. Um, there is no chemical fix for it. Okay. So does it follow a similar pattern to, you know, I think when you were, when we talked about narcissism and, and we kind of said, um, you know, you don't tell the narcissist they're a narcissist. I mean, and, or, or no, we'd say that one. And then the other one that people always loved that we talked about was if you're asking yourself, am I a narcissist? You're most likely not a narcissist because there's that right. awareness. Are there some kind of general rules with people with borderline personality disorder? I mean, you're not, like you say, you're not going to go say, I think you're kind of like a borderline, not going to go well. Yeah, that will go over really badly. And um, and it's not something that you want to actually bring up with somebody until you get to what I would call a safe space or a place in which they're really willing to hear it. Um, and they're wanting to embrace it and asking about, you know, hey, do I have a diagnosis? Is this something that's um, really going on? Because um, there's a lot of misperceptions about exactly what it is and what it isn't. Okay. And um, I actually was just on the phone with a client and we were talking about this um, because a lot of teenagers, in fact, sometimes look like they have borderline personality disorder, but really it's just the normal moodiness and okay. um, of being a teenager that um, that kind of like makes you run a little hot and cold with people. And so it's not necessarily a personality disorder. It's just um, the moodiness that goes along with the fluctuating hormones of being a teenager, which is why we don't diagnose until um, way past 18 for this disorder. Okay. And do you mind maybe, yeah, take us on a little journey of, and uh, wherever you want to begin, whether it's the, here's, here is what a personality disorder is, yeah. or here's where this begins or what it looks like. Now I just want to, I want to learn. 
Great. Okay. So, so going back, just like as a brief summary, personality disorders are a component of three parts. And the first is DNA, meaning that um, there's a certain element for which you are born into it. And so you have a family member who has a personality disorder. It doesn't necessarily have to be borderline personality disorder, but it, but that exists. So that trait exists within your family tree. So that's part number one. Part number two is that there's an environment that sets it up. And in particular for a person with borderline personality disorder, um, their massive fear is a sense of abandonment. And so they are constantly trying to overcome whether it's real or imagined abandonment. And um, because of that, um, there's usually some trauma that's been associated with abandonment that has happened to them at a very young age. Um, And so we usually see that in the environment for somebody who has borderline personality disorder. And not only is there one abandonment, there's multiple abandonments usually along the way that have kind of like reinforced that fear or caused that fear to really come out. And then the last thing is choice. And the only reason why I bring up choice, not that people choose to have this disorder, but because like we have some wonderful research out there now that through um, really good therapy, um, DBT in particular and others, a person can actually get better from this. That, and that's what I think is kind of exciting, right? I mean, the, and, and I feel like, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I want to, I, I can't wait for you to take us down the path of how do you get someone to that point where they're even willing to hear um, that they may have yeah. a diagnosis. And, and hey, Christine, I'm going to do something I've never done before, too. I'm going to do a little bit of a, a filming a little bit live just to let people know that this is going to be coming soon. Is that okay? okay. Right. Yeah. Pretend yeah, that I'm not even doing that. I don't even, this is the first time I feel like a very old man. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so, all right. So you, you had one more. Um, okay. One yeah, more. So, so we went, well, we went, we did one, which was the, um, which was biological DNA Two, which was your environment. So that's the fear of abandonment. And then the third thing was the choice and, and choosing isn't like somebody chooses to be, um, a person with borderline personality disorder. It's that as you get older, um, you can start to see it and you can make different choices which then can lessen the impact of the disorder. And through really good effective therapy, such as DBT and other types of therapy, um, you can actually improve quite well. And I have a lot of people who have this disorder who have improved tremendously okay. and are having healthy, thriving relationships. Wow. So what, tell me about the, when do you start to feel like it's happening um, what age? What age do you start to feel then like you see borderline personality disorder traits? Right. So like it kicks in super early. Um, so usually around 12, it starts to kick in. And, and here's the problem. We can't diagnose till after 18. Okay. So usually around 12, it's going to kick in and it kicks in with self-harming behavior. Oh. And, um, and so the self-harming behavior can be anything from cutting to doing addictive substances to um, sex to any one of a number of or a combination of all of that, to be honest with you. Okay. And so we usually see it as young as 12, and then it kind of progresses from there. But, and then to be clear, too, just because if someone is doing self-harm or cutting, that doesn't, doesn't really have this. No. Yeah, right. So, but these are right. the components that typically lead up to a borderline percentage the, or a diagnosis. Correct. They're the early, what we call early indicators of it, right? Okay. So, like, the early indicators are usually the self-harming behavior, um, lots of mood swings, severe depression, that sometimes leads to um, suicide attempts, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times, unfortunately, we see people like, um, kind of in and out of like needing to be, um, hospitalized for a period of time and then coming out of that in kind of like a back and forth all throughout their teenagehood. Okay. Okay. Do you feel like, um, is this one of those things where there's a, per- a higher percentage of male or female? So, you know, interestingly enough, like you would think that it was more um, with females, but it's not. Like if you really look at the hardcore statistics of it, it's almost 50-50. Yeah. And and so so strangely enough, people in the past have thought and um, almost treated this as some kind of like female disorder, but it's not. Okay. I can't lie. I always kind of assumed that uh, narcissism was on, you know, the male side and borderline personality was more female. Is that the common stereotype? that is the common misnomer about it. And it's not the case at all. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So guys can be, uh, I was going to say just as borderline, but we don't say that, that guys can have borderline personality disorder. Right. Yes. As good as the girls can. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when, when do you start seeing, so you've got those indicators, then when do you start to see, um, how does it start to manifest itself in relationships or, or in individuals? What, what does that look like? So, so going back to like the abandonment, which is like the big indicator that we have, like mm-hmm. um, this, because you're afraid that you're going to be abandoned by somebody, it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy. You, you almost like do things to then have the abandonment occur to then justify being afraid of it. And so it becomes kind of this weird twist that's always centered around the abandonment. And, um, and so so people will often like they'll push somebody away only to like want to like pull them back in okay. and they're not doing it in in like a cunning, manipulative, controlling sense. They're doing it out of the hurt and pain that they feel on the inside. And that's the big difference between a narcissist and somebody who has borderline personality disorder. So that's where and I think I, I told you a lot of times I'll have a copy of this little book called I Hate You Don't Leave Me. Right. Yeah, it's a great book. It is right. So is that the cycle then it's the, it is, I, I hate you. There's almost the, I would go ahead and leave. You're going to abandon me anyway, get out of here. And then with yeah. their, wait, 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 don't go. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like you can't leave me because like I, I can't be alone and I have to have somebody. And so, yes, it is that. And, and I want to make sure that we're super clear about this, that they're not doing this to be controlling or manipulative. It, okay. In other words, this isn't an, an intentional, I'm going to beat you up. This is coming out of a place of hurt and trauma that's inside of them. Wow. So do you feel like then when they, so to get to that point of where I hate you, I mean, that is that trauma. That's like, that's coming yeah. from way back. Yeah. And, then the, and then don't leave me is all of a sudden this, in, you know, uh, gosh, raw, vulnerable. So it's not the, I'm going to manipulate you back. Right. But, okay. Oh, that's okay. That's significant, right? Yeah, it is. It really is. And, and I want to say, like, um, there's some really beautiful sides of having this personality disorder, and we often don't address it or talk about it. And so I do want to, like, kind of, like, step into that realm a little bit, because okay. what, what's so amazing about this population is that they have such a gift for um, sensing other people's emotions and really being able to pick up on that. And... And unfortunately, they tend to absorb them, right? And so if somebody's feeling angry, they'll tend to absorb somebody else's negative emotions. Oh, wow. But the same thing can work in the positive sense as well. Yeah. 
And they're amazingly empathetic people from that standpoint, because not only do they sense what other people feel, but they actually feel it too. And sometimes if you have a person who doesn't feel well at all, they'll do all the feeling for you almost. Yeah. So then that, and then if they've got the abandonment attached to that, then is it like, okay, this is, I got to do something about this or this is on me or. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, so that's kind of like the interesting side of it. And one of the beautiful parts of it. And I have found that um, my clients who have this disorder are usually highly creative people um, in a variety of forms. Um, They tend to see things that other people don't see or feel things that other people don't feel. And they're, and when they use that like sixth sense that they almost have to like make their art or, um, make their drawings or make their writings like um, and pour into it. It's amazing what comes out on the other end of it. Like you really feel this strong connection with them because they're so incredibly transparent in whatever form that they decide to express um, their creativity in. And then also, do you feel like that transparency then works its way into also whether it's the anger or the 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 love or the so they're gonna they're gonna love hard they're gonna anger hard? Yes, exactly. So like one of the examples I often give people is uh, Vincent Van Gogh, um, who like if you look at his life and look at his history, um, clearly had this disorder. And um, he did 900 paintings in 11 years. So just like a perfect example of somebody who just like poured himself out. And he did everything from like amazing flowers and um, some of the places where he lived and and portraits um, all the way to the times when he was really hurting. And we have Starry Starry Night that came out of him being um, literally in an an insane asylum, which is what they called it back then, as a result of him just so upset over a fallen relationship. And so, so it's a very interesting, he had a very interesting life, but but that is like the perfect translation of what I'm trying to express. Okay. Like some of the gifting of that disorder is that they have this like rawness about them. And when they share it and show it with somebody else and somebody treats it and, and sees it as valuable and beautiful, it, it can be just such a lovely thing. But when they see that rawness as being like too much, like that's overexposing, then, then that's where you get a lot of pushback from other people. Okay. So then if a, if a spouse, for example, really doesn't have an idea of what a borderline personality disordered person looks like or needs emotionally, or um, can they actually then be just, I don't know, feeding it's the right word or definitely not nurturing it? Yeah. And, and they, they could actually be doing more harm than good okay. and, um, and not even realizing what's happening in that moment. And Um, so if you're in a relationship with somebody who seems to run very hot and cold with you and like everything I've said, kind of like feels super familiar, um, then that's kind of a time to like, take a step back and say, okay, um, might I be dealing with somebody who, who has this? And if I am like, what am I doing to make the situation worse and how can I make that better? And oftentimes it's just creating a stable, safe environment for them where they feel like they can express themselves and be heard and, and not have to worry that somebody's going to run away or um, somebody's going to overreact or, you know, take an offense to what they're saying. And, and when they feel that sense of safety, um, 
it, everybody tends to settle down and it goes so much better. Um, and, and to be fair to, I guess that's a dramatic way for me to put that, but so it, it can be difficult though for a partner. True. You know, yeah. even if they know, cause I, I feel like, uh, so there was a while at a, at a practice I was at where there was a, a woman there, a really good therapist who kind of, you know, she would joke that she was becoming and doing a lot of work with borderlines, which can be draining. That's what we always yeah. write or people with borderline yeah. personality disorder. And so then I would often get the spouse. And so just processing a lot of that is that, you know, they would often feel like they just can't kind of take that hot part, you know, talk about running hot and cold or that, that emotion. But now I'm kind of wondering, is that because they didn't have the skills or, well, probably yes. But then also, even if they have the skills, it could still get pretty heated. Is that true? Absolutely. And, and, and part, and that's why both need to be in therapy, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that, that's why both parties need to be in their own individual therapy and then also therapy together so that they can learn how to interact well with one another. Um, because that, that's the that's the important equation. And but once you do get them on on a good rhythm, they tend to do quite well. Okay, is the key? Well, I won't even put it there yet. Well, no, I, I so I was gonna say is the key. But then this shows how little I know in this world at times. Of uh, I say, but is the key? Who do you start with? Who has to have the awareness? Because because when you said earlier, here was my train of thought. When it was like, if some of these things are sounding familiar, which I know they will for people listening. Uh, my first thought was, hey, do we go down the, you know, the diagnostic criteria? Of, are these things there? But then if you notice that, again, you don't go to your partner and say, I think you're borderline, right? Right. So, please, don't so, do that. <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> okay. Please, please don't do that. On so, many levels, don't do that. Right? So yes, then, yeah. Talk to a therapist, please. Okay. okay. And, and one who knows about borderline personality yes. disorder. Well, sure. And one who understands it and is comfortable with it because, um, you know, like, like you kind of alluded to, like not every therapist, like even wants to do this or enjoys being with this population. And so it has to be somebody who doesn't see this as, is something awful, but rather something that you can totally embrace and, and that everybody can get along and we can learn how to function with one another. And and that's okay. So I'm thinking in the therapist brain, I mean, I know you deal with people, narcissists, you deal with partners of narcissists, I mean, I, I love, I love that. I'll work with that population all day. So, yeah, but there's gotta be people out there that feel the same about uh, borderline personality disorder. Absolutely. Do you you work with a lot of them? I mean, is that another one of, I remember from our first, um, your confidence, you know, you've helped so many people that have heard the podcast we did feel like they aren't going crazy if they're in a relationship with a narcissist. Do you have that passion about borderline personality disorder? I absolutely do. And so, so I, I just, I embrace most all of the personality disorders just because I'm very comfortable with them and understand how they got there. Um, But yes, I absolutely have the same passion for it. I, I call having this disorder a gifting and not a curse. And so I really do believe that about it. And, um, and it comes across when I'm working with my clients. Do do you think it's uh, fair for us to run down the diagnostic criteria right now? I think Okay. I think that's so important. And so, yes, I'm going to have to put my glasses on real quick. No, I, but I'm glad that we were able to frame it in a positive way, because I think if we would have just started out like, you know, do your, does your spouse experience, you know, do you experience and lay out these things? Somebody's be looking like, yeah, like, yeah, she does. But right. so, I like that you're saying of like, okay, there is stuff that can be done here. And now, now it's the, have you experienced any of these? Right. So I'm going to run through the criteria. Okay. So it's um, a pattern of instability of your relationships, of your self-image. And there's some impulsivity that begins in early adulthood 
Um, and we've usually seen it like five years prior, meaning that that's the age 12 that I was talking about. It usually starts around there. Okay. So, so we're looking for these other things. We're looking for frantic efforts to avoid either real or imagined abandonment. In other words, that the abandonment doesn't actually have to be occurring. It can be like they're worried that it's going to occur, right? And so, so that is one of the characteristics. Um, the next is a pattern of unstable and intense um, personal relationships. So, um, and, and it's characterized by alternating extremes of devaluation and, and idealization. So that's the, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. That and kind that, of like tends to go on. And that doesn't have to just be the person that you were involved in romantically, right? I mean, do, no, no, no. it's like that, all, all, all relationships? Pretty much. And so like, you're going to see that with their parents. They're going to feel that way about their parents. They're going to love their parent one month, hate them the next month. Um, as a therapist, like my clients who have this disorder one month, they, you know, love me and tell me I'm an angel. And the next month they tell me I'm the world's worst therapist. And so like, that's okay. Like that, that's kind of what we deal with. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're entitled to their opinion. And so that's how that works. You actually just a uh, quick, uh, quick uh, therapist epiphany moment, though. You know, when I was talking about this earlier times, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a shiny new therapist. And so that was the part where if they're going to tell me I'm a crummy therapist, then ah, I feel so bad. Now you're right. I mean, if I have someone bringing the, the, the issues around narcissism and they can tell me whatever they want, I just view that. OK, thank you for, for feeling comfortable enough to share that and, and for offering me that data to work with. So, yeah. So I hear you. If, if you get to that place where you recognize this isn't necessarily on you, um, this is, uh, right. right? Then it's like, thank right. you for the data. We can work with this. Right, absolutely. And and like, and getting comfortable with saying, okay, well, like, what is it, did, what did I do? You know, yeah. Yeah. what what did I do to cause this? And, and, or what did you sense? Or what did you feel? Because that's, that's more the case with this population. And so um, okay. I'm very aware of when my clients walk into the room that I have not carrying anything from my previous sessions into that session, you know, yeah, because they can pick up on it super fast. And, um, and I don't want that energy to interfere with ours. So, mm-hmm. so, so like as a therapist side note, like, yeah, be careful that you don't do that with yeah. this population in particular. You're not, you're not processing anger around the people that just left because then this person's going to be like, wait a minute, wait, right? Or, right. Or, or are they, are they saying this because they think that really I'm doing that and that's the way they're doing that? Or, or is this person, whatever, right? They could. Right. It's, all, it's almost like, you know, you can't leave that energy in the room, right? Oh, like, because yeah. they will feel it the second they walk in there and, and it's not even theirs or yours. It's like leftover from previous session, but they will feel it. So don't do that. I'm sure there's a Febreze that takes yeah. care of that. Get right? rid of it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever you need to do to get rid of it, get rid of it. Okay. okay. Um, so uh, the next one is like an unstable self-image or a sense of self. So like that's where they, you know, like love themselves or not love themselves. So the same thing that they're doing to other people, they're doing to themselves. Um, and so this constant unstable sense of themselves and self-image, um, which is very problematic. Mm. Next, we're looking at like an impulsivity. Um, and that impulsivity is usually in two or more ways. Um, so it could be um, spending, sex, substance abuse, um, reckless driving, binge eating, um, any one of a number of things. Um, that So there's at least impulsivity, meaning that 
they just react very quickly to something and they kind of like fall into that addictive pattern or behavior very fast. Uh, the next would be reoccurring suicidal gestures um, or threats or any kind of self-harming behavior. Um, and that could be anything from like cutting to saying, I'm going to kill myself um, to actually trying multiple ways of doing it. That That's just like it, you know, it's a reoccurring pattern that happens over and over again. Um, next we have like, um, instability, um, of a mood. So like extreme irritability, extreme anger, extreme anxiety, um, that just all of a sudden comes on, like, and you're not quite sure where it's coming from. Um, but it just like seems to come out of nowhere. Okay. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Like there's only something that caused it, but it feels like it comes out of nowhere to somebody who doesn't have this. And out of curiosity, when you talk about that, so yeah. has it been building before it erupts? I mean, so that, that part. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and um, usually what you'll find is that when it actually does come out, they're, they're kind of pulling from this and pulling from that and pulling from that. And you're like, how do we wind up here? Like, okay. so you just kind of have to sift through all of it and accept it and not be overly critical or analytical about it. Um, because that's super frustrating for them because um, they can't help how they feel. And so we have to acknowledge how they feel and accept it without casting judgment or, or criticizing it. Okay. Okay. So next is like chronic feelings of emptiness. So they constantly feel like there's like nothing inside of them, that there's, there's nothing else there. There's nothing more that they can give. Like they're totally worn out and exhausted. Um, next we have like inappropriate or intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. So like the, almost like a temper tantrum, it flares, it rages, and they have a hard time bringing it back in, um, or coming back from wherever they've gone. And then the last one that we have is, um, usually some type of, um, dissociative symptoms, meaning that, um, they are present, but not really present. Um, and they might feel like they are outside of their bodies, kind of like looking in on a situation, like it's almost happening to somebody else. Okay. So they're not totally aware of everything that's going on. And, and that is probably, um, to me, outside of the fear of abandonment, like that is the number two, like it shouldn't be at the end of that list. It should okay. be like after abandonment, um, is being a very strong indicator of, borderline personality disorder because okay. nobody else really has that except for this population. What does that look like though? Cause I mean, I know that when you can sit in the room and have somebody talk about me and I felt like I was, you know, having this out of body experience or I thought, but what is, if your partner, if you feel like they, if they have a borderline personality disorder diagnosis, what are they yeah. seeing? What are you seeing when somebody's doing that? So I'll give you a great example. This actually happened in session with me one time. And it was a um, couple that was coming in to see me. And just to kind of like paint the picture, he was a Harley Davidson, like really rough guy, former military, like about as tough of a dude as you could possibly imagine, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely don't want to cross him in any way, okay? And so she was coming in because she was upset at him over something. And we were kind of like talking it through and he had made some comment and you could see on her face that she got really angry and very upset. And I didn't realize she had borderline personality disorder at the time, or I might've like stopped it sooner. 
And she literally stood up from where she was seating, where she was sitting, and she started pointing her finger, waving it and screaming at him at the top of her lungs. And he's kind of like looking at me like, see, I told you, like, this, like, this is what's happening. Like, see, I, I told you she's doing this. And so about five minutes goes by and she sits down for whatever reason. I just like my instincts told me, don't interrupt her. Just play this one out. And so she's down and um, I give her like a, a breath, like to catch her breath. And then I say to her, do you remember what we were talking about? And she literally skipped over the entire time that she was yelling at him and picked up the conversation from before. And so I stopped her and I said, yeah, hon, we were talking about that, but then you stood up and you were waving your finger at him and you were yelling at him. She's like, no, I wasn't. Okay. Here we go. And I said, okay, there it is. So that's kind of like what it looks like. So for them, like this is the hard part. Like, they don't even necessarily know the words that are even coming out of their mouth in that moment. And they don't even necessarily, they can feel the emotion sometimes, but if they dissociate um, when it's happening, they may not. And, and it doesn't last for very long. It lasts for short periods of time. Um, but, but that, le- but what that is, is it's a defense mechanism that is literally kicked in in their brain and said, time out. This is too stressful, too much for us to handle. We can't bear it any longer. So we're going to explode and we're going to like pretend we're not even here when it's happening. And so it's a defense mechanism that Freud identified like way, way back um, in the very beginning of learning about psychology. And, and once that kicks in, like sometimes they have vague memories of it, or they might have total memories of it. Um, and it, it kind of like, it just depends on the person or no memory of it. Yeah. That, okay. Can I go on a tiny tangent that has to do with some of the yeah. narcissism? So you have yeah. me thinking, I mean, I do feel like I've had those experiences or if I'm working with a couple that there will be the talk about, you know, and then she'll do this, you know, or she said this and, and you know, you know, those times where the, the spouse will retaliate with a, yeah, but you did this. And then there's those times where, you know, she's like, I did, I did not, I have no idea what he's talking about. You know, he says this stuff all the time. And sometimes my brain that at that point then goes to, oh my gosh, he's gaslighting her, you know, this raging, but there could also be this. That's when, if he's looking at me, like, what do I do with this? You know, she, she doesn't remember these things where she just freaks out. I've had people chase somebody with a knife or you know, all this right. stuff. Yeah. Right. So could right. is that, that's a most likely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. They could have dissociated. And, and so then they're not even present and they're not fully aware of all that's going on. Mm. Um, and so it, it takes a little bit of kind of like um, almost detective work to figure out which is the difference between the two. Yeah. Uh, usually when you separate out people, you can find things out a little bit better yeah. that way. Um, and then I, I often use like benign examples or other times when it's like insignificant to kind of see if, if it really is gaslighting or if it really is dissociation or a combination of both. That's the worst. Um, and yeah, that can happen. Is, right. That's a, yeah, it makes a great pair. Um, I was going to say that we've done two therapist side notes. Another one is I do feel like, you know, I know with the population we work with, if you've got a narcissistic partner and then you do get them one-on-one, boy, you know, that is gaslighting, like nobody's right. business, right? I mean, right. they think they're fooling you because that's what they right. do. But that, right. and so you're right. And so that's the part where, yeah, if I pull the person, like this person that I'm thinking of right now aside, 
it's like, they don't have that whole vibe of, you know, Oh, I'll, I'll fool this therapist so that we can, you know, get him on my side and we'll move on. It's right. like, it's that genuine, like, I, I don't know what to do with that, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, gaslighting is very manipulative and it's cunning, right? And it feels that way for lack of a better way of expressing that where when somebody dissociates, like that is neither manipulative nor is it cunning. It's just a defense mechanism. Yeah. And and it's a way that a person has learned how to survive very difficult situations. And, and that's how they've gotten by. And you can usually link it to trauma and see that in a person's life. Whereas gaslighting, there's no link to trauma. That's no. not a thing. Is, do you think that some of the impulsivity is almost like a disassociation junior? I mean, is it, you know, is that a defense mechanism as well on the road to maybe dissociation? Absolutely. So like, it's a way of escaping, yeah, right? Yeah, Just yeah. like, you know, they're choosing different ways to escape or to numb what they're feeling or to numb the pain. Usually that's what I hear from them. Like they feel this intense pain and they're just trying to make it stop. Yeah. And, um, and so that's why they do the, the impulsive or the addictive behaviors. Yeah. I want to make sure if you're okay too, that we cover, I'd love to hear a little bit more about DBT. So what the hope looks like. And then also, um, well, maybe we start there. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Or, or what are there other methods other than DBT? Or I kind of almost walk us to how do we get somebody there? You know, because you've maybe now starting, you're recognizing it. Maybe that you want to give the, let's say in this situation, if it's the wife that has borderline personality right. disorder, you want to be able to help let the husband know, hey, come on, hang on. You know, there is hope that we can do right. this. And and as soon as they find out about, uh, oh my gosh, it, she, she has this borderline personality disorder, then he wants to immediately you need to tell her and she needs to read books and she, you know, but that's not the right way to go about this. No, no, not at all. In fact, I don't want them reading anything on the internet. Like that's Mm -hmm. the worst thing because there's so much extreme stuff that's on the internet about it. And it's, it's not helpful. It's actually very hurtful. And, um, and so I don't like what's out there. Um, and I'll just like throw that out there. Um, but so what I do with my clients who have it is we do a variety of different therapeutic techniques. Um, and I kind of customize it depending on who my client is and what works best for them. Um, but the big thing that I work with them on is, um, when you're with me, you're journaling me, meaning that you're going to be shooting me emails every day, every couple of days, So that if you have like one of those moments where you're super frustrated or you have your fears are kicking in or um, you're dying to go vape or whatever it is, like you're you're emailing me instead, because that gives us something to work on in therapy. Because if I just like try to pull from like there every day and and we come into there, like it's only going to be the latest problem. Right. And and we're not really going to be able to address the bigger picture and the larger item things that really need to be dealt with. It will just be like whatever's burning at the moment. So so the big thing that I do, even before any modality whatsoever, is I have them do this journaling practice. And um, that at least prepares me for, okay, this was a good week Um, on Monday. It was a terrible week on Wednesday. And, um, and like they felt totally abandoned by Thursday, but by Friday, like they're having a great day. And that, that's what I need to know so that we can, we can actually start to address some of the larger items. So mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest thing that I do for them. And I also ask them not to share their journals with their significant others. Okay. And the reason I do that is because it can be overwhelming. If you are the spouse of somebody to like hear 
Like you, you think, okay, well, I solved it. Like they don't feel abandoned. Like we're good. We should right. be good, right? But then the very next day, that that fear has come back up and is kicked in. And then as a spouse, you feel defeated, right? And you feel like, oh, I've like I did all this work. Yeah, didn't Why work. didn't it work, right? Yeah, exactly. So 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 it doesn't really work to share that with a spouse. It only works to really share that with your therapist, and so that you can start to work through it and. There's so many different techniques, like DBT is just one, um, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, just for those who don't know that that expression. But there's also schema therapy I have found to be very effective. Um, and so where you do a lot of inner child work and actually like try to help with some of um, the trauma, because if we can settle down some of the trauma, some of that fear also starts to settle down with them as well. Um, and so there's, there's several different kinds of therapies that you just, you kind of have to play with until you find the right mix for your client, um, moving forward. Well, how do you, and I skipped this step and I apologize too. So what does it look like when you finally are able to present someone with this information or, you know, cause I've just found that people don't, obviously they don't want to be told. Um, and that's why I appreciate what we started with. Um, they don't want to be your borderline, you know, and it's even a struggle right. for somebody to hear, Hey, you may have a border, you know, a borderline personality diagnosis or so where do how do you make that transition? What do you do? Cause they're not coming or they're not typically coming in just off the street. True. Right. Well, some of them are coming to see me because they've already been diagnosed by somebody else. That's and right. that person okay. didn't want to deal with them. Yeah. So they come see me and they're like, they said I was a borderline. I said, okay, well, but you're a person with a disorder, you're not the disorder. And so like, let's start from there and go from there. And so, um, so, so we kind of like start with that base, but if, if they are coming to me, not knowing any of that information and I kind of figure it out through, um, doing some therapy with them, I usually wait for them to take the lead on it. Like I'll go ahead and start doing the therapies without them even being really truly thoroughly aware of what we're doing. Um, and, and then, but they have to tell me like at least three times that they want to know what their diagnosis is. And, oh, okay. and that makes sense. Yeah. That I have a, it's just a three times rule. Like you gotta, you gotta tell me, you gotta almost beg me for that information and then I'll give it to you. Okay. And then and with that, then you can present the kind of the criteria that led you there and then it will make sense. It won't seem like, like you just threw something out there. There's, there's these things you've noticed patterns, that sort of right. thing. Yeah. yeah, we literally walk through the same list that we just talked about okay. earlier. So I yank out my DSM and I say, okay, here's this. And like, have you ever felt that way? And, you know, they'll say yes and say, okay, well, let's talk about a time that that happened to you. And so for every single example, we're going through and kind of like, they're starting to see, oh yeah, that does apply to me. Oh yes, this has happened. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And we're giving examples for all of it. And so so by the end of it, they're able to see it more fully and kind of rest in it and say, okay, so that does like pull all the little puzzle pieces together. So like now what? And the now what part is where we get into the different kinds of therapy and then deciding whether or not sometimes we don't tell a significant other, you know, it just depends on the situation. I don't want to add any fuel to a fire. Like for instance, if if I think the relationship is going to end, if they're married and they're going to head into divorce, the last thing I want to do is give a potential ex like more ammunition to mm-hmm. harm, you know, my client. And so we won't share um, mm-hmm. if I think it's going to wind up headed in that direction. But if the spouse is totally committed 
wanting to be present and is willing to go through their own therapy and get some help as a result of this, then yes, we do. I like what you said about, so then the experiences that I have have had that have been positive, it is the, you know, have you ever felt? And then I like how you said that the puzzle pieces, because I feel like those experiences um, and I have have been in that moment, at least it's like, yeah, I have. And and it almost is a, a moment of, okay, so I don't know, but I'm not crazy. You know, there's that, here is something that I can work with, but then, you know, but then I, I feel like then there's me going, okay, good. All right. We've got this, but this is a person who has had a history of these, uh, I, I hate you don't leave me moments. Right. So um, have you ever then they come right. back around the next day or the next week? And then it's like, now there's that emotional dysregulation again, or the, wait a minute, not, I'm not that, or I mean, maybe that's because they start reading on the internet. I don't know. Well, and that's exactly what happens. They okay. get on the internet, right? Because even though I tell them a thousand times, don't get on the internet, they get on the internet because everybody does what you tell them not to do. Yeah. And um, and so so they get on the internet and they read something. And they're like, that's not me. I'm not crazy. I don't do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like, exactly. and there's all different levels of it too. Like, like there is people who have a mild form of it to all the way the full blown personality disorder. And then we have like narcissism or sociopath or paranoid mixed in with it. So okay. like you, you have, you have everything from like, just like super mild case all the way to your more severe cases. So, yeah. so, and that's, that's an important component too, to make sure that you explain like kind of where they are on that spectrum. Yeah. Um, I told you I would only take half an hour. I took 50 minutes. I feel bad, Christine. <laughs> you are fine so good though i really i really appreciate uh, all that you shared uh, it, you know is there anything else that you would kind of because i feel like i i feel like what you've done is a nice job of explaining what it is explaining that there is there is a lot of hope there that you, you know it does a lot of hope right a lot of hope there does need to be some willingness or awareness for the person to kind of say okay you know I, i'm and i guess i'll trust the therapist and i'm willing to to do the work, even the, I mean, and I guess in my mind, I feel like, man, you make it look like then it's super easy and you got it wrapped up in a couple of weeks and then they go on to, you know, it's happily ever after. I mean, it's still a lot of work, right? It, it is a lot of work. And most of my clients, like um, we have this, we have a great relationship where they come for a set period of time uh -huh. to kind of like get over the hump of all of this. And then they come as needed and they do come. And so they're like frequently come back in and we deal with whatever else has happened or um, whatever else is going on in their life. And so it, they're not a client that like disappears. In other words, it's like, okay. Um, you become part of their life. And, um, and, and that's actually a beautiful thing. Like yeah. it's really neat to be able to see somebody like do life and do it healthy and, and move forward in such a positive way. And, and that's, that's right. That's I mean, why I do what I do. Exactly. Right. And I feel like that's the part that I love as well about this is if, if something is kind of based in an abandonment issue, guess what? Hey, I'm not going to go anywhere. Right. Um, you, you know, I, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The last thing as a therapist you can do is abandon a person who has a fear of abandonment. Like that, that's right? a terrible thing to do. Yeah. So you don't. Yeah. And that's the stuff that breaks my heart is when you are trying to not, you know, let them know I will not abandon you. And that's at times where they're almost like, oh yeah, you know, watch this, you know, I will disappear. Right. Right. And, but, but, uh, right. but yeah. Um, okay. Where can people find you? Understanding today's narcissist. So you can find Amazing. Okay. Yes. Understanding Today's Narcissist is my podcast. My website is Grow With Christine. So it's G-R-O-W-W-I-T-H, Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E.com. 
And I would love to hear from you. You can email me also at the theme grow with Christine at gmail.com. And I would love to hear some feedback from you and any questions that you might have. Perfect. You've you've helped my audience a ton and people in my practice a lot as well. Um, So uh, I, you have a lot of expertise I know on your bio. So I'm going to call on you for more in the future, if you don't mind. Okay. Absolutely. I love talking to you. Anytime, Tony. Okay. Thanks a lot, Christine. All right. And I'll have all the notes there and everything in the show. And, uh, and uh, I will talk to you again soon. Okay. I'm going to hit stop. Sounds great. Thank you. One second. Okay. Compressed emotions flying past. Our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind. It's wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost. I'm floating